Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Abundant Life. Happy Father's Day. Wherever you're gathering with us from, we're so glad that you have. Let's give it up right now for all the dads. Thank you, men of God, for raising children to know and love God. So we're going to take time out for one week from our Daniel study. If this is your first time, we've been going word by word through the book of Daniel. We're going to get back to that next week, but I do want to do something special for Father's Day, and so thank you for joining us today for a very special day. Now, i got to qualify something. I worked outside all day yesterday because in my house, daddy duty includes the outside chores. It also includes the inside chores. Real men do dishes, gentlemen. Why is it only the women are clapping right now? I don't. This was your moment, gentlemen. Real men do dishes. Yes. But they also do the lawn and they prune the trees. So there I was. I'm just telling you that because it looks like I've been crying all morning. Eyes are watery and bloodshot. Snot flying. I'm kidding about that part. My voice is a little scratchy. It's a little weak. It's just allergies. So forgive me if I kind of hack my way through this, okay? Just need to tell you that up front. I'm not getting emotional. Um, Well, I do that too, but not today, okay? Check this out. Proverbs 13, 22, it says this, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. A good man, in fact, I'd say a godly man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, not just his children, but even his grandchildren. Now listen carefully, gentlemen, a a great inheritance and the greatest inheritance a father can leave his children is not his wealth, but his words. It's not his wealth, but his words. You're leaving an inheritance to your children and even their children. We think about inheritance normally, it's material wealth that we think about, but long after material wealth has disappeared. Something else in that inheritance remains. It's not the wealth, but the words. So my father died and went to heaven three months ago in March of this year. So for the last three months, my siblings and I have been settling the estate, selling the house, and it's amazing. My dad is a working man, 41 and a half years. He worked on a loading dock, driving a... um, a forklift, and so he was a working man, blue-collar man all of his life, but he was able to save some money. He was very wise with his money, never had a mortgage since the 1980s, never had a car payment, was able to retire 20 years ago, live comfortably in retirement, and I say that because he didn't leave me like loads of money, all right, but he, he did leave us some money, and I say that because if you saw me driving around a Jaguar this weekend, it's not mine. Somebody think, oh yeah, he got a big inheritance. No, it was somebody else's in the church. I gave him my truck for the weekend. I drove his Jaguar. I'm driving in today to church going, I hope nobody sees me in this. <laughs> but he heard me say once it was a dream a long, long time ago to drive a Jaguar. He said, well, I'm here to make your dream come true. So I did. I found out Jaguars are not made for men that are six foot six. But my dad did leave me a little inheritance, along with my siblings. But the most important inheritance is not his wealth, it's his words. 
words that last forever. Wealth lasts temporarily, but the words of wisdom, the words of affection, the words of affirmation, the words of direction, that's the inheritance that lasts for generations. These are letters from my dad. I want to preach a sermon today entitled Letters from Dad. My father had a habit. He would never, ever buy a birthday card, but he would write us letters on the envelopes Every time we had a birthday, and you know your kids are adults when they get money for their birthday. And so for years, my dad would give us money, and there'd be a little money in the envelope, and then he'd write a letter on the outside. And long after what's on the inside is gone, it's what's on the outside that lasts forever. That's what I'll take with me for the rest of my life. Here's one that he, he wrote, one of the last ones that he wrote. He says, well, happy birthday to you again. Because of your obedience to God's call, it is incredible what has happened to advance the kingdom of God. He said, an incredible Christian march forward. Uh, you are the leader of a fellowship of believers that accepted your leadership to do large things in a part of the country that needed it. I'm very proud of how you stood and have stood without compromise in your ministry. I love you very much as your father, and you know that your mother did as well. <laughs> Letter from Dad. You guys, today I want to preach a message titled Letters from Dad. I want to encourage you as dads, write your children letters. Maybe sometime this week, I've written my children letters in pivotal moments of their life. Why is that? Because words spoken are powerful, but words spoken can eventually be forgotten. But when you put words on paper, those words last forever. And I want to encourage you to do that this week sometime, to write your children letters, just express your heart to them, your, your dream you have for them, and words of affirmation, ways that you're proud of them, because it will last forever. And as a dad, your words are so powerful. You're the prophet of the family. As the prophet, your words in some way can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I want you to, to learn to do this in some kind of way, as you indeed have a father in heaven who is rich you letter after letter. Do you understand that Proverbs 17 and verse 6 says, children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children is their father. Now, what is the principle? The glory of children is their father. What that means is God has given fathers specifically a position of prominence in the life of his children, like children come into this world and just naturally idolize dad, just naturally put dad on a pedestal. Children's children is the crown of old men. Now, I don't know anything about that part yet. Someday I hope to. I have two married children. I've come to the conclusion there's so many things you can do for your kids. The older they get, there's some things they got to do for themselves. I'm going to wear a t-shirt that says world's best grandpa next time I'm around my married children. <laughs> Subliminal message. But I do know a little bit about this. The glory of children is their father. 
meaning children naturally idolize dad, and you can use that influence in their life for good to point them toward God, or you can squander it. And I want to talk today about how you can use it instead of lose it. Listen, Satan hates fathers because God has revealed himself as a father. Now, we talk about all the social issues of our American society and all the social issues we face as a civilization, but hardly anyone is talking about what I think is the number one social issue of our day. A social crisis is fatherlessness, an all-time high fatherlessness. And the social science doesn't lie. The statistics tell the truth. According to the National Fatherhood Initiative, over 40% of American children will not be raised by their biological father. 25%, over 19 million children, will be raised by no father figure whatsoever. Not their biological father, not a stepfather, not an adoptive father, not a foster father. You can see that we have a crisis of fatherlessness in America. Now, why would that be? Why do we have disappearing dads? I'm convinced it's straight out of the pit of hell. Do you understand Satan hates dads? The devil hates dads because the devil knows as the father goes, so much of the time goes the family, and as the family goes, so goes society. Do you understand Satan hates fathers because God has revealed himself as a father, that the image of God is seen in fathers and fatherhood, and Satan hates the image of God. He wants to destroy the image of God, distort the image of God in whatever way he can. Because he hates God, and God has revealed himself as a father. Look at what Jesus says in Luke eleven two. 2. Remember the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, as he's teaching his disciples how to pray. He says, pray this way. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy, be your name. Now, we live at a time because of the you know, politically correct, gender-neutral society we now live in. It's very popular to say, well, God has no gender. God is a spirit. He has no gender. No, God is a spirit, and he does have a gender. God's revealed himself for a reason, as a father. Yeah, I know it's completely politically incorrect to say that, but it's biblically correct to say that. We're gonna be biblically correct in abundant life, not politically correct, if we have to choose between the two. (laughs) You have a spirit. Does that make you genderless? I know some of us have to think about that for a minute. See, God is a father. He's revealed himself as a father. Now you know why Satan hates fathers. Because he's revealed himself as a father. And the son of God, the Lord Jesus, came to reveal to us a God who longs to be your father. Look at what it says in John 14 and verse 6. John 14 and verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father. So how can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. What was Jesus teaching in this moment? Listen, the purpose of God's Son was to show others the Father. The purpose of all God's sons is to show others the Father. 
What is the purpose of the Son of God? It was to show the world the Father God, a loving heavenly Father. Now listen carefully, as a man of God, if you've been born again by faith in the Son of God, you have become a child of God. You are now a Son of God, having put your faith in the Son of God, John 1 verse 12, but as many as received him, Jesus, to them gave him power to be called the sons of God, the children of God. 1 John 3 and verse 1, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God, the children of God. You see, God has revealed himself as a father because he wants you to know there is a family and the longing of every human being is to be a part of a family. And that's why God has revealed himself as a father. Now you need to understand something. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus to become a child of God, you're still not a child of God until you place your faith and receive the son of God. See, I came into this world physically in infancy as a son of a man named Van. Jesus said twice in John 3, marvel not, I say unto you, you must be born again. You need a second birth. And when you put your faith in the Son of God, now it's what Jesus called the second birth, being born again to become a child of God. And you need to understand, for the very same reason God put Jesus on this earth to be living proof of a loving heavenly Father, God has now put other sons on this earth to be living proof of a loving heavenly Father. And gentlemen, the most important purpose of an earthly father is to show his children the heavenly father. The number one thing God has given you to do as an earthly father is to introduce your children to the heavenly father. See, the father they cannot see, they are learning through the father they can see. And so much of what people think of God and their view of God is directly defined by their view of their father. I know there's a lot of people that have real issues with God, like trying to draw close to God, and really it goes back to the father they had. Like if you had a distant father that was never really there, you have this sense of God. He's distant that he's not really there. He doesn't really care. If you had a God, if you had a father that was always angry, dad was always mad, then it's easy to view God as an angry God. He's always mad. If you had a dad, you could never please. You could never measure up. You've got a God you can never fully please. You can never measure up. See, we teach children about the father they cannot see by the father they have. That's you and me. That's why the number one thing we can do as earthly fathers is to introduce our children to the heavenly father. Now, I had a father like that. I had a father that very much introduced me to a heavenly father. Uh, this picture is one of my favorites. I don't actually remember when it was taken, but I look like a happy child, don't I? <laughs> my sister looks like a happy little girl because we're on the lap of our daddy. Uh, and when I look at this picture, you know, when you're a child, your dad's always old. <laughs> but now I look at some of these pictures and I really, man, he was young once. He's a young man there. He's a young dad there. I see tired in his eyes. Yeah, now I know why there's tired in his eyes. If dad was occasionally grumpy or grouchy, now I get it. He probably was working a double shift. He did that often. 
But he was a dad that showed me the father. He, he's the one that introduced me to a father I could not see by the relationship I had with a father I could see. But you understand, we live at a time where society wants to erase dad. I mean, we've gone from Leave It to Beaver and the Andy Griffith Show in the 1960s where dad is noble and strong and wise to Homer Simpson. You get what I'm saying? We live at a time where society is waging war on that evil patriarchy and wants to erase this patriarchy in society. Now listen carefully, because of the sin of men, there is something called historic male chauvinism and men dominating women, and can I just say, a real man does not dominate a woman. Well, there's one man that's going home with a happy wife today. I said, real men don't dominate women. All the men were, yes. See, unfortunately, there is something called chauvinism. You know, uh, boys rule, girls drool. Not true. That's just in the battle of the sexes. In the eyes of God, men and women are co-equal. They were both created in the image of God. All right, but listen carefully. Waging war on patriarchy, historic male chauvinism, what has happened? To deal with all the bad men, society has made weak men, and I'm trying to tell you when we make all men weak men instead of strong men, there's no longer any strong men to deal with the bad men. So now you have society wondering where all the men went. And today is a day for the men to come home. Today is a day, gentlemen, where it's time to remember our true calling that God has given us and to step into our true identity, to reject passivity, to accept responsibility, to lead courageously, because that is our true God-given calling. But understand, when that doesn't happen, when, when dad isn't there or dad is checked out, he's there geographically, physically, but he is checked out emotionally, spiritually, something happens to the family. Something happens in the heart of the children. And the social science doesn't lie. The statistics tell the truth. According to the National Fatherhood Initiative, this is taken right from their page, when a child does not have a dad in his life, four times greater risk of poverty, more likely to have behavioral problems, two times greater risk of infant mortality, more likely to go to prison, more likely to commit crime, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen, more likely to face abuse and neglect, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, two times more likely to suffer obesity, two times more likely to drop out of school. Now listen carefully, if you're a single mom, and there's lots and lots of very courageous, godly single moms in the house right now, let's give it up for them. Some of the real heroes. Don't be discouraged, stories abound of single moms that have successfully raised their children to know and love Jesus, to be happy and healthy. It's possible. I'm not saying this is an absolute done deal. I'm saying, though, statistically, the odds are higher when dad isn't there. You're going to have challenges God never intended you to have. Your children are going to have challenges God never intended them to have. I want you to see the prominent role God has given dads where society say dads don't matter. Dads are marginalized. Dads are minimized. No, God says, I have maximized their role in the life of those children and the social science doesn't lie. So today, I wanna to spell dad. 
We're gonna keep it simple, D-A-D. D stands for discipline and direction. The same thing your heavenly father does for you. We are to do as earthly fathers for our sons and daughters too. Beginning with giving them discipline and direction. Here is a letter from your heavenly father, gentlemen. Letters from dad, here's one for you, Hebrews 12, five. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. Here's the letter, here's what God is saying to you as your father. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Now we don't use this term very often, chasten. Let me, just, let me just use common vernacular, spanking. Yeah, we live at a time it's taboo for moms and dads to spank their children, but it's not taboo with God. God our Father spanks his sons and daughters. He chastens us because he loves us. Look what it says, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. What God is saying is that if you can sin and win again and again and again and again, never come under God's conviction and never feel him chastening you, it could be you're not really one of his. You're an illegitimate son. In the same way, like I spanked my little ones when they were growing up because I wanted to discipline them and I wanted them to know they have to take their dad seriously, the one they can see. Because if they don't learn to take the dad seriously they can see, how will they ever learn to take the dad seriously they cannot see? Remember, you're teaching them how to relate to God. And what God is saying is, listen, if you're not one of my children, I'm not gonna spank you. If you don't really belong to me, in the same way, I might have spanked my little ones when they misbehaved, but I might see your little one. And I'm not gonna spank them. You know why? Because they're not mine. God is saying the same thing. If you're not one of mine, then I'm not gonna chasten you. One of the marks that you really are a Christian, one of the marks, one of the metrics that you really are a child of God, that you've been born again truly by faith in the Son of God, is that when you sin, you can't get away with it. When you sin, you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The promise of Hebrews chapter 12 is you may backslide, but if you're a child of God, you're gonna slide back up again. And that's our Father God, because he loves us. Listen, the wages of sin is death. God hates sin because he loves you. And sin always brings death. It always brings destruction. So when he sees us sinning again and again, he's gonna chase our little backsides because he loves us that much. He's not gonna let us get away with sin. He's not gonna let us wander away and get too far. Look at what it says. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us. And we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present but painful nevertheless. Afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I am so glad that I had a dad that wouldn't let me get away with doing wrong.
I am so glad I had a dad that would lovingly chasten my little backside. A dad that would redirect and course correct because that's what our heavenly father does. And that's what an earthly father does. Proverbs 13, 24, he who spares the rod hates his own son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. See, one of the marks that you love your child is you discipline them when they step over the line, when they sin. Uh, I'm so glad I did. I don't, I don't have a memory of a lot of spankings growing up, probably because the one memory I actually have of a spanking, it was so memorable I didn't need another one. I don't know if I've told this story recently or not. I've been preaching for 22 years, and I can't remember when I've shared this story. And if, if you've heard this, forgive me. You know, we, we watch movies over and over again. We sing songs over and over again. But heaven forbid if Phil should repeat himself once in 10 years. Okay, mercy. But my, my one memory of a spanking, honestly, so I was about kindergarten, somewhere in there, five, maybe six, four, five, six, somewhere in there. And we'd gone to the grocery store, family out into the grocery store. And I walked down the candy aisle. And down the candy aisle, I found a bag of bubble gum that was broken open. Bubble gum everywhere. Bubble gum in the aisle. Bubble gum just laying there on the shelves. And I'm telling you, it was more temptation than a five-year-old could possibly endure. You know, I didn't know the Bible said no temptation is overtaking you, but such is common to man. But with that temptation, God will make a way of escape. I didn't know any of that. There's no escape from this. It was too much temptation. So the, the bubble gum's just laying there it's for the taking. So I start stuffing my pockets full of bubble gum. And it's always more fun to sin with somebody else. So I got my little brother in on it. We did. We're both stuffing our pockets full of bubble gum. Looking back now, I think it was a sting operation, truly. It had to be. It wasn't fair. Setup, complete setup. So we get home and we knew it was wrong. Our little consciences knew what we were doing was wrong. I'll tell you how we knew. The evidence we knew is we closed the door of the bedroom. Yeah, we closed the door of the bedroom, and let me tell you something, we were having a bubblegum party. It was party hardy, have a blast while it lasts. I mean, we were blowing bubbles, double bubbles, triple bubbles, and we had bubblegum everywhere, bubblegum on our face, and all of a sudden, my mama came in the door unannounced, and she crashed the party. And she asked the question, where did you get that gum? I thought fast, did the only thing I knew I could do, I lied. I thought fast, I lied quick. Mom, we found it under the bed, it was just there. Just Don't know how it got there, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Found it under the bed. And then I heard those words, guys, I'm telling you, strikes fear in the heart of every little boy, every little girl, wait till your father gets home. And when my father got home, he knew we'd stolen that gum, and let me tell you something, he put it on my backside, it still hurts. It still hurts, one I've never forgotten. Now to be clear, my dad didn't beat me, he did not abuse me, but he did spank me. And then he took me to my piggy bank, he made me break my piggy bank, reach in and get some money from that piggy bank. He drove me back to the grocery store where he made me stand in front of the manager of that grocery store, tears rolling down my eyes, and present that money to that manager for the gum that I had stolen. 
And somebody thinks, oh, well, that was so mean of your dad. I cannot believe he would do that. I can't believe he would spank you. No, what would have been mean is to let a little boy grow up thinking he can get away with stealing. Thinking he can get away with being a thief. That's what would have been mean. You see, he knew that if I got away with this, there would be more to follow. You see, a loving father will always discipline his sons and his daughters. He gives them direction. He could see me going this direction. He knew I needed a course correction. I am what I am because my dad was what he was. Now, the reason you can give discipline in that kind of direction is because you're loading it with affirmation and affection. So I never had to wonder, does my dad love me? Does he care about me? Uh, I never had to wonder the same hand that could bring the rod of correction was the same hand that could bring down that touch of affection. See, I was learning about my heavenly father by my relationship with my earthly father. I learned to take dad seriously, but I never had to wonder, is he coming home for me? Will he take care of me? Does he care about me? I want you to see what it says in Matthew 3.16. This is Jesus being baptized. You talk about affirmation from the Father. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I want you to notice, even the Lord Jesus Christ needed the affirmation of a father. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And do you know there's the longing in the heart of every son and daughter to hear those words that dad is pleased of me. He is proud of me. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And I want you to see today, gentlemen, a letter from heaven, letters from dad, Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Here's the letter. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Your father says, I have adopted you into my family, not to be some distant dad, some absentee dad. I want you to have this Abba, Father relationship. Abba is an Aramaic term, a term of endearment. Father is way too formal. Like my children don't call me father, unless they're being silly, father. I say, I am your father. <laughs> Sorry. You're getting inside the goofy hopper house now, okay. No, they might call me Papa Hoppa. There's a relation, I call my dad daddy till the day he died. Man my age, maybe have a southern Missouri culture, I don't know for sure, but See, it implies a relationship. He was more than just a father. That's way too formal. I called him Papa till the day he died. You're my Papa. And see, that's the relationship God's trying to tell you. He wants with you letters from Dad. He loves you and wants to be a heavenly father to you. You can cry, Abba, Father. He wants 
this kind of relationship with you. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You understand the implication. We're not just heirs of God, but joint heirs with Jesus Christ. My dad was very specific. He wanted all five of his children to split the estate evenly five ways. Nobody got more than the other. Now, in the ancient days, the firstborn son got a double portion. We would expect for Jesus to get a double portion. We would be heirs of God as his children, but we certainly wouldn't be an heir, a joint heir with Christ. Do you understand the implication that we're gonna rule and reign with Jesus over an eternal kingdom, equal portions with the resurrected son of God as a joint heir with Jesus Christ? We're not equal to Christ. Don't misunderstand. He is supreme. He's got the name above every name that is named. But in terms of the kingdom, as a child of God, we're joint heirs. We get an equal portion with him. The implication is the Father loves you as much as he loves Jesus. We have a Father that doesn't play favorites. He doesn't show any partiality. He loves you as much as he loves Jesus. This is stunning, shocking. This is the relationship God your Father wants with you. This picture embodies what God your Father wants from his sons and daughters. Yeah, he'll discipline you because he loves you, but he wants to show kindness to you, affection, affirmation. Guys, I really hope that you'll write your children letters this week And as you do, if you have daughters, and I have a daughter, I have two sons, tell her I love you. Little girl needs to know every single day her daddy loves her. Remember, she's learning about her heavenly father from her earthly father. Tell her every day, you are beautiful. Don't wait to write her a letter once a year. Tell her every single day, honey, I love you. You are beautiful. Every single day, our little girls are saying mirror, mirror on the wall. Am I beautiful enough at all? Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of us all? Do you understand, Dad, that you are her mirror? And if you're not telling her she's beautiful, she'll find another mirror. The world is gonna tell her she's not enough, not beautiful enough. Do you understand that the mirror God wants in her life is you? I love you, you are beautiful. Honey, you are special. See, every little girl longs to be somebody's Cinderella, and do you understand that you are her knight in shining armor? See, that's the implication to say that that a father is the glory of the child. Now, if you have little boys, it's slightly different. What do they need to hear from their father? Number one, I love you, son. My dad told me he loved me till the day he died. We never parted ways without saying, I love you. Uh, Number two is this, you are good at. Son, you are so good at. Fill in the blank, be specific. Uh, Number three is this, son, I am proud of you for, be specific. See, a little girl longs to be special, boys long to feel strong, and do you understand, you are passing on that masculinity from the strongest man they know. They want you to see strength in them. All right now, gentlemen, I want you to stand, because some of us aren't sure 
if we have a Father in heaven, honestly, and I want you to hear a letter from heaven, from your heavenly Father, wherever you are in the world right now, just stand with us right now as a man, as a man of God, as a child of God, as a son of God. Listen, some of you wonder, I didn't have a dad like you had, Pastor Phil. Listen, Isaiah says in Psalm 68, verse five, that God is a father to the fatherless. I'm now fatherless, but I'm not left without a father. I still have one, a father in heaven. Some of us wonder, is there any hope? Like I squandered that opportunity. I haven't been a great dad. I want you to know that God has something specific he wants you to hear today. Listen very carefully. God says to all of you, as a child of God, as a son of God, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I no longer see you as a sinner. I see you as a son, and I am a God of new beginnings. I'm a God of second chances. And Romans chapter eight is a letter to you that you are more than a conqueror through him who loved us. I'm a God of restoration. I'm a God of redemption. I'm a God of resurrection. And today is a day that you can begin a brand new beginning. Whatever is in the past, it does not have to define the future. God loves you so infinitely. You are his Beloved son, walk in that identity. Can we give it up right now for these men? I am so thankful that there are still men of God who are gonna lead their family to know and love God. Gentlemen, you can be seated. I want you to see what God sees when he looks at you and me. He sees a dad, a dad very much that bears his image of the dad we cannot yet see. Discipline and direction, affirmation and affection, destiny and destination. Do you understand that for a family, daddy is often the destiny. There are exceptions, but so much of the time for children, their father is the one that defines their destination. Look at what it says in Exodus 20 and verse five. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Speaking of idols, an idol is associated with a demon, demonism. And when a father steps out of his family, somebody else steps in. And this is the warning from your heavenly father to earthly fathers. Don't bow down to the idols of our society. Don't bow down and serve false gods. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Listen carefully. God is not jealous of you, but he is jealous for you. He says these words, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. This is why there's generational sin in a family tree over and over again. It gets passed from one generation to the next and then the next. And this is more than just children mimicking the bad behavior of their parents. I'm convinced there is a spiritual component here that when a father is not exercising spiritual authority that God has given him over a family, and authority is not to oppress, but to protect. And when a father isn't there, a spiritual authority is a vacuum, and somebody else steps in and wreaks havoc on a family. But there's a but here. Look at this. But showing mercy to thousands to those who love me 
and keep my commandments. There is a divine blessing on a family tree from a father who fears God and follows him closely. This is the legacy my father left me. Proverbs 20 and verse seven, the righteous man walks in his integrity and his children are blessed after him. There is a divine blessing on the children and the children and even their children when a father chooses to walk in integrity, live in the fear of the Lord, and follow him closely. This is the legacy my father left me. This is the legacy I'm now passing down to my children and their children, my family tree. You say, Phil, I didn't have that kind of a dad. Is there any hope for me? Is there any hope for my children? Here's the good news. Listen very carefully. Regardless of the past, fathers have the power to redefine the future of their family tree. You can plant a brand new family tree. You see, you are the patriarch. Patriarch simply means pillar. As a dad, you are the pillar of a family. You're the pillar of a family tree. And you can't change the past, but you have the power to redefine the future. In the last couple of years, I made a habit knowing my dad wasn't gonna live forever. Without him knowing, I'd take out my iPhone at family gatherings and I would record him praying. Because I know someday his children, his children's children, even their children, will be searching for their identity. And I wanted them to see where they came from. This is what it means to be a member of Just our thank family. Thank you for the day today. Thank you for our many blessings. Lord God, I thank you for Jesus, our author and the finisher of our salvation. And just want to lift up our, our country, Lord God, what it's going through now. I just pray that there's soon be better days ahead of that. Be a lot less people getting sick. I pray there be no one getting sick at some point. Also, Lord God, pray for a revival. We wonder if uh, something like, like this might be a catalyst to a world revival. Uh, if Jesus waits, uh, we would like to have that. Like to see, be able to see that. Thank you for the food, Lord, for the family that I can be with. Pray that you bless the food for our bodies and we give you all praise in Jesus' name. Amen. There's the patriarch, of which now the mantle has passed to me, and one day will pass to my children. This is how the faith is passed on generation after generation. My dad prayed for revival till the day he died. You could hear him right there. You know what, in Malachi 4 and verse 6, one of the metrics of revival, how you know God has sent true revival, indescribable but undeniable, it says in Malachi 4, 6, God will turn the father's hearts to the children and the children's hearts toward the fathers. That's what I'm praying for in our land a revival of fatherhood, a revival of families. So without further ado, would you stand with me, men and women? Let's pray for that together. All across all of our campuses, in the church houses, all over our country, right there in your home, let's just stand together. Let's pray for a heaven-sent move of God, a Holy Spirit revival that would turn the Father's hearts to the children, the children's hearts to the Father. God in heaven, we pray for revival 
in our lifetime, revival in our land. That there'd be a move of God, a turning back to you again. That, Lord, we would run from the deception, the distortion, the depravity of the hour. That, God, we would come back again to the God of our fathers. That there'd be a revival within the heart of men and women that would redefine the future the destination of our children and our children's children. Be glorified among us, I pray, blessing over every house and every home under the sound of my voice. And in the powerful name I pray, the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Would you give him glory today with me? Praise him, would you? Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.